Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, <clears throat> welcome to Coffee Moaning. Good morning, coffee moaners. Good morning if you're listening on podcast. Good morning if you're doing the washing, if you're on the loo, if you're snogging your other half, if you're ironing, whatever it is you're doing. Good morning, good morning. Um, Nadia is in hospital. Um, she's, <laughs> this is, and don't panic, it was a, a scheduled trip, but it's uh, taking longer than we were expecting. Um, this is a follow-up. Uh, this is a follow-up check on her eye. Um, I don't know if you remember, there was the um, <laughs> much delayed reporting of the story of her eye. She had that sudden sort of blurriness in front of one of her eyes. Well, she felt it was in front of one of her eyes. Um, and so she had, <clears throat> excuse me, she has um, nothing serious. They've checked for dubious kind of shadows, tumours, all this kind of stuff. Um, nothing there, but they are checking uh, they're, they're wanting to check that the the sort of the blurry kind of seepage, I think is the way to describe it, blurry seepage that has happened at the back of the eye hasn't got any worse. So she's in there now. So send her all your hugs and all your love. I will send her all your love and hugs. And she says, and I say, to say thank you so much to all of those of you who have already donated for the... Um, the uh, uh, medical aid for palestine walk uh charity sort of fundraiser so thank you so much um she's struggling at the <laughs> classic nerds she's struggling in the setting it up she's struggling to find where she can reply <laughs> and uh, also where she can update the number of kil uh, kilometers i i went on the link and i said to her, i said i said lads i said well, come on you've got to pump in what we've done she said i can't work it out <laughs> so so anyway so um, but she says a huge thank you i say a huge thank you it's incredibly kind of you we'll pop the and you know it doesn't have to be much at all um and uh, Lior, if you're in the room, Lior, I'm struggling to find your link. It's not in your Instagram profile. So maybe, Lior, if you could send me the link, that would be great. Um, who have we got in the room today? James McBeer, my honey will have ginger and lemon, a variety of chilies, um, and also going to make lemon and ginger chews. Fantastic, James McBeer. Is that for you? Or should we do that for Nads? Um, Reese, thank you. How are you, matey? Uh, morning, Mark. Wishing Nads a speedy recovery. As it, it, It's your birthday today. Would you do me the kind of... Reese And Nads isn't here. I know she'd love to... Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Reese, 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 Reese. Happy birthday to you. There you go. <laughs> um, I hope that makes your day even more traumatic than perhaps it was already going to be. Um, I hope you have a lovely one. Um, uh, and uh, I'm struggling to see through my eyes at the moment. Bloody hell. So anyway, and I know Nads will want to send you a, a happy birthday later. So um, so she she isn't actually too far away. She's had to go into the Moorfields uh the Moorfields Eye Hospital. Um, so, yes, so she, she's having her eye checked in. Lots, lots of people wishing you happy birthday, Reese. Uh, good on you. Uh, Teresa, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Miss Teresa. Happy birthday to you. Uh, there you go, Teresa. Um, Zoe, hope Nat is okay. She's fine. She's in fine fittle. She, uh, I have a message here saying, oh, I'm not going to send everyone my love. I'm having to do this now. We were going to do this later when she was back, but I've got to, got to head off too. So um, she's, uh, send them all my love. Um, uh, in, uh, thank, please thank everyone for, my, for the donations. Sorry, I can't work out how to bloody answer people at the moment. <laughs> so, um, 
So there we go. So let's crack on. Let's crack on. Haven't got long. Um, so everyone, how are we? I hope you're all well. First thing I want to talk about, there's a number of things I want to talk about, and I've got some very strong opinions on this. The first thing I think we should mention is the tragic news that's breaking through or has broken this morning of the former Strictly star. Uh, um, I, again, I'm not obviously I'm not a Strictly Come Dancing uh, aficionado or, or, or I'm, I'm not too privy to the names of people. But this is the story of Robin or Bobby Windsor, who is it's being reported has tragically died at the age of 44. Um, he danced with uh, Patsy Kensit, Alison Hammond, Susanna Reid, which would make sense. Susanna Reid, very, very sad and upset this morning on Good Morning Britain about this news. Uh, he also danced with Lisa Riley, Deborah Meaden as well. Um, let me pop up a... I have got a photo here. There, there he is with Deborah Meaden. Um, no, I don't think any news has been given as yet as to... I mean, it's always... It feels morbid, but it isn't necessarily always morbid because I think in a desire to know what what perhaps perhaps has happened, I think for those closest, I'm not talking about for the press or the media, but I think I think then there's a sort of you know comprehension of how sensitively everyone can you know how what what sort of sensitivities one needs to engage in around the family. So I don't necessarily know if there's any any discussion of anything untoward, but I mean clearly at the age of 44. Um, you know, his death was announced on his official Facebook page, Burn the Floor. Um, they said on there that he would leave a void in our hearts. Um, the statement read, the Burn the Floor family has lost one of its founding members, members Robin Bobby Windsor, who's tragically passed away. Um, a journeyman, he danced with us for 20 years, including Broadway, the West End and all our crazy adventures around the world. Um, it went on to say his talent, attitude, energy and personality helped create the Burn the Floor stage reputation. He leaves a void in our hearts that will never be filled, yet our wonderful memories will stay forever. His agent, Cisco Entertainment, posted a statement saying, uh, praising his vibrant spirit, infectious energy and warmth, and said it's with a heavy heart that we announce the tragic passing of our beloved friend, Robin Windsor. Um, Oh, it, you know, again, the ter- the terrible fact of the matter is, I don't know if anyone else feels this, when you hear of someone dying at this, at this age, you do, one does pause and wonder whether it's a sort of mental health thing, um, you know, potentially a mental health thing. And I mean, of course, you know, not necessarily suicide. I'm not, I don't want to speculate. It's not right to, but, uh, you know, you just don't know. And, and, that, and that's the problem with all of these things. You, you just don't know. And I'm sure within good time. We will hear, but yeah, very sad, very young. Um, and I just felt that that should be mentioned first, really, because uh, I, I know a lot of you are Strictly fans. I don't know if my mum, mum, you will know, uh, Russ out could be hard. It could be something as as, as, as as rapid as a heart attack or something like that. Yeah, obviously, we always the concern is, well, I mean, the concern is the concern that they've passed away, isn't there? But then there's the added complications always of anything that is potentially uh, mental health related. Um, um, so I want to talk about, uh, I'm afraid, um, but I think it's important too, because not, not many other people are the, well, the daily telegraph is reporting today or it's, it's headline today, which is significant has said that the U S is moving to stop Israel's invasion of Rafa. Um, 
I think it's fair to say that there is a, a definite um, mood change uh, in the language that's being used. This is the suggestion that uh, the U.S. may even be um, penciling um, some kind of a temporary ceasefire order um, on, oh, Ali P, his last Instagram post was quite telling. Um, uh, yeah, sorry, I can't pull it up at the moment, Ali P. Okay, well, that's, uh, I'll have a look at that afterwards. Oh, God, poor family, poor family, poor him. Um, yeah, so Joe Biden is pushing for a United Nations vote on a, on a, on a temporary ceasefire. Again, we I don't know if you saw our coffee mining yesterday, we're in this ludicrous scenario of, of all these gradations and variations and spins and permutations and hybridizations of ceasefire, permanent, non-permanent, impermanent, temporary, semi-temporary, a pause, half pause, not really a pause, you know. So anyway, so, you know, everything and anything that moves closer towards preventing the death of more innocents in Gaza and the likely, as we're beginning to discover, potential death of more hostages. Um, and let's not forget, we'll talk about the hostages and, and the innocents, but I mean, there, there is a huge imbalance that has been struck subsequent to October the 7th, which doesn't remove from the intensity of what's going on for those hostages and their families at all. But, um, but you know, that's a sort of, that's become a fixed dilemma that's, in a sense, entrenched and made more difficult by the inflexibility and intransigence of the Israeli government. So, you know, any move towards anything that, that leads to a cessation of hostilities has got to be good. I do worry that within all of this, there is a, I mean, a lot of people on, on social media, a lot of polls, a lot of um, phone-ins on the radio that I've been listening to. I mean, it seems and it strikes me, and I want to know what you think, guys, that the vast majority of people say around Keir Starmer, nib, you know, tiptoeing closer to the the potential of a some kind of ceasefire. I mean, the thing is, they've always been saying things. He's always said sustainable ceasefire. You know, we, we, we have to, we all want, everyone wants a ceasefire. I think splitting hairs around what a ceasefire is, is is a fraudulent kind of complicating of the, of, of the dilemma. Any ceasefire requires both sides. Well, okay, here's a couple of things. Any ceasefire needs to demand of the two people fighting against each other. And I think some people would like to say, you know, there are two things at work here. There is an occupation, which is a fact, but there is also a conflict and there is armed resistance happening uh, from Hamas and there is, uh, you know, aggression and uh, control happening from Israel. So there is there is also a war there. So there's an occupation and there's a war. I know a lot of people get quite hung up on that. It's not this or it's not that. It's both. It's both. It's an occupation and a war. And I think a ceasefire, any ceasefire, any calling for any ceasefire, it is all diplomatic language. But people see through this diplomatic language. There, there's, there's diplomatic language, Siobhan Jordan, you're absolutely right, which is for the sake of diplomacy. And, you know, we talked, Nadia mentioned it yesterday, one does sometimes have to tread in an indirect manner towards your goal. I mean, there is a wonderful quote. Let me just take a sip whilst I remember it. Sometimes the slowest uh, route to your destination can be the fastest, or sometimes the fastest route to your, uh, your destination is the slowest, i.e. sometimes it may, you need to go slow to get to the right place. 
Now, that would be a strong argument if we weren't looking at an incoming, because we're not only dealing with the daily death toll, we are dealing with an increase in hunger, famine, and the longer that these, you know, civilians ha have to spend not being able to rebuild anything, and they've got nothing to rebuild anything with, so it will have to be a collective of Arab nations and presumably Western money. If this is turned into a money-making venture, then I hope that civilization entirely goes to hell in a handcart. If it never ceases to amaze me that the financial back end of the worst tragedy it can be it can even be considered so anyway you know it's just like fucking hell someone some someone somewhere in the world it'll be carving up the land working out how to how to you know monetize it um so you know, no, so no calling of a So yes, there's diplomatic language. One has to take the slower route. The longer route sometimes is the quickest way to get there. But also we are in an election year and that really complicates things for me in the trust department. Because I know for a fact that the Labour Party and all parties, they focus group the hell when, you know, they do studies, they check, they go, how many people will vote for us if we say this? What if we use this word? What if we say this word? And I hate and I despise and I think the vast majority of the voting public have had enough of that political, flip-flopping, cautious, kind of meaningless, kind of politics speak, which I worry is creeping into this. So really, for me, the, the proof in the pudding will be tomorrow. Leo, could you please send to me on Instagram a direct link to your to your um, fundraising page? I can't I can't seem to click on it. Um, but yeah, well done you. Well done. I can see that you've raised some money already for your stride for Gaza. Um, so what do you think, guys? Do you think, you know, on the one hand, you want to step towards anything that kind of stops the violence. But on, on the other, the worry is, is that baked into them stepping in the right direction is just simply saving their political future, conning the electorate, pretending they were on your on the right side all along. I mean, I'm not a believer in, you know, if someone changes policy, um, just sitting there going, yeah, but you didn't, but you did Well, no, we did. And I've said it many times. We can't, too little, too late is a phrase and it's important and it will be. It doesn't mean that what little comes too late, you ignore or stop. That's, that's the big mistake of just saying too little, too late is all and everything. It, you take what you can get. We have to because it's that urgent a situation. But if the West now wonders why they have an intransigent, spoilt, irrational, essentially rogue leader of uh, Israel, essentially now, who's, who's, who feels like a loose cannon. I can only hope that, you know, you know his what is his response going to be? If they're all pussyfooting around what words they use to keep the most annoying, aggravating and disturbing teenager or adolescent in the group happy, it still ain't going to work well. It still is not going to, this is not going to run in the right direction. 
Erin Bullimore, you ask too much politicians, Mark. Politics in this country has been more of a game than anything else for decades. Politicians just want to win and enforce their own agendas. I, this isn't new to me, Erin. Sorry <laughs> if I made you think that. And it's not new. I just think more people, more and more people need to hear it. More and more people need to know um, that it is a game. And I think too many people trust because a lot of people are actually kind people and people trust that these people in positions of authority are taking their responsibility seriously. I know it's a game. I mean, look at it. I mean, but if you sit here saying, actually, we haven't been democratic almost since World War Two at all. Well, at all ever before World War II. Yeah, we don't live in it. We've not lived. You know, it's we, we're democratic comparatively, but actually not really in terms of the electoral system. Yes, in terms of our values, in terms of the tolerances, in terms of our, um, but in terms of the, and, and a strong argument would be that it's because of the, it's not because the electoral system is now is now no longer expressing the will of the people. And what you don't want is through a feeling of, inex, you know, inexpressibility from government that has, has often been said, there's a lurch to the right and a lurch to the left because it always happens. The, the only way it's it's a bit like it's like a bit like a blister and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger or or a pus filled you know blister boil and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and the only thing that i genuinely believe will sort that out is if you immediately create an a totally fair electoral system because you take the heat out of extreme politics it doesn't mean that those extreme views don't exist but in a democracy, you're, allegedly your democracy says you can contend with that because democratically you can argue with it. But we don't actually have a choice. We don't actually have a choice, not when the two parties are so closely aligned on so many things. So I just, you know, I, I, what am I trying to say? I think this the proof is going to be in the pudding. Let's see what the sort of gyrations and, and gymnastics that are done um, uh, you know, around the vote on Wednesday. Um, let's have a look at this. Capture life each day. When I was a history teacher, we did coursework which argued political expediency is the main reason for policy decision. Simply caring about what means your party gets success, not what is best for. Absolutely. I mean, party politics, that's what it's called. And I get it. We get it. But a lot of people don't. And a lot of people want to not have to engage with that because well, there's a feeling of insurmountability. It's like, what can we do about it? And that's where I genuinely, I genuinely believe, you know, unfortunately, I, I, how do you, how do you push back against this system by constant, by voting into it? It doesn't work. Steph Memhave, I hope, sorry for Memhave. That's what it's like in Denmark with proportional representation where all views are represented, even ones that we don't agree with. It's important to listen to all views. Absolutely. One of the problems with extremism, and this is this is why Hamas has developed into an extremist, uh, Western-identified terrorist organization. If you prevent the ability to express yourself or be free in your opinions or your life, more extremely in in Gaza, you know, to, just to run, you know, to to be in control of your 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 destiny as a people. If you close down the ability to express yourselves, that leads to an increase in extremist opinion. You know, 
I hate the fact that it's conservative parties and Labour parties that have tried to make the term proportional representation like it's like saying, and this is no disrespect to vegans whatsoever, but I think, unfortunately, the vast majority of people, and I've been in that place too, go, oh, veganism, oh, okay, it's all well and good, you know, it's all well and good, but, oh, yeah, not for me, you know, it's, it's, it's an ideal, it's an, it, but it's not, it's not realistic. Whenever PR is mentioned, every, all of the, and there are only people in two parties for whom this system serves. Chris White, never wanted proportional representation in the UK, but the polarisation of politics makes it essential now. I think it does make it essential now. I think it's a little bit like, so let's say even an extreme right-wing party, you know, led by Farage, is given zero expression, and they get more and more intense, and they can mobilise more and more support because they feel that they're not heard and they're not allowed to be heard. But if you NPR, oh, God almighty, how horrific. Yes, we do get two MPs that represent that opinion. But that will lance the boil a little bit. Yes, they're able to then sort of voice it, but you still have the same laws in place about hate speech, about illegality around it. You know, I just think we have to, it's never been more crucial that the things, i tell you what will happen for a fact. Labour will get in, they won't be able to change things sufficiently in the first term, and the Conservatives will come back in this system. The first thing they say about addiction is, you know, insanity is doing the same thing time and time again, expecting a different outcome. And we never get a different outcome. We never get a different outcome. So the, so, okay, so what do you do? You don't vote. Where's the fucking Liberal Democrats? They used to be the ones that used to say about PR. But again, they get marginalised. They get, it's, it's an impossible situation to resolve. But what can you do on the sidelines? You can watch it, and, and that's why I'm in a dilemma, because I, I don't want to, I don't, Starmer has stained the Labour vote for me. Regardless of what little kind of patchwork, patching up he does now, I will, I, too many people will not forget, will not forget his sanctioning of turning off the water. It wasn't like a misspeak he didn't come out later that day saying it. It was seven days, nine days when he realised, like everything with the Labour Party, but also like everything with the Conservative Party, he realised this wasn't floating right with, his, with, his, with the voters. Oh, I better say I didn't mean it like that. That's the, only reason he, that's the only reason he rode back on it. And the only reason he's now getting the fucking, you know, thesaurus out and looking at every other single fucking word he can put, put in front of the word ceasefire is so that he can... When push comes to shove and when we're all on the other side of this so-called history wall, where we all go the right side of history, the wrong side of history, he can go, well, I was always saying the word ceasefire. Yeah, you were saying it alongside a whole bunch of other stupid words like a conditional, impermanent, permanent, semi-permanent, semi-temporary, uh, semi-detached, semi-permeable. What? The next absolute election that has to happen in Israel, I think, isn't until 20, I think it's 2026. And I've said before, I genuinely think Netanyahu is hedging his bets and hoping that Trump gets in. Because Trump will be even more favourable. Uh, well, favourable. I mean, you know, Biden, again, you know, it's like, have you seen the White House press? Here's, here's an important distinction. And someone said it yesterday. I can't remember who. 
So the, so even the White House are moving towards, well, I mean, Rafa, this is bad. We need to do something about it. But then when Kamala Harris yesterday was asked, well, will you stop selling the arms to Israel that are about to invade Rafa? No, they can't do that. What they've realized, what they've all realized is that they can get even closer to saying the word ceasefire and it be meaningless. But potentially gain electoral progress. That's all that's happening right now. Oh, I think we could possibly make the word ceasefire less hostile. So hang on a minute. Every single other person who calling for a ceasefire was castigated and characterized as a hate marcher or as an anti-Semite or as refusing Israel the right of self Hang on a minute. Oh, it's suddenly all right, is it now? It's like being in a row with someone who suddenly immediately changes the rules. It's diabolically in- illogical and self-serving. And that's what's going on here. That is all that's going on here. They are clambering around this. Literally, you can see them all clambering over the word ceasefire, going, oh, 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 everywhere, oh. All those people have been saying ceasefire. Oh, no, it's gone on a bit. Well, let's use the word ceasefire now. Ceasefire. They say it. Oh, just say it a bit more. Oh, could we get into into, into government? Yeah, say it. Say it. Put another fucking thing in front of it. Say, say I don't know, uh, immediate all side ceasefire. Um, a bit of a ceasefire for now. Oh, that might do it. It's it's shambolic. It's transparent. It's you know what? If I was at school and I and this was this was my, I'd be like, get in the hall, go and stand outside, and I'm going to call the deputy head. You're a disappointment to the class, and you're a disappointment to yourself. I'll be calling your parents, to all of them. To all of that, you know what? And the other thing that really gets me is I was the social secretary at my students, at my student at my university uh, for a bit. And I remember thinking there were all the kind of ardent, you know, Labour Party and there was the Conservative Party. The Conservative Party were always literally even then dressed in sort of they always had ties and the Labour Party always had sort of, I don't know, sort of John Lennon glasses. And I always remember thinking, I remember being in one of these meetings, I was in a student union, all I was interested in was booking, trying to book The Shaman. Do you remember them? A a sort of Scottish electro sort of dance band. We booked them. They were great. I remember looking at these people going, fucking hell, I hope these guys don't end up running the country. Because all they liked was the sound of their own voices. They didn't care. They didn't care about students. Shem, retired teacher here. I hear you. Oh, really? Would you send them out and get in the hall? Starmer, Rayner, Sunak. Stand in the hall. Stand away from each other. Don't look at each other. Head of year will be along shortly. It's, it's shocking. It's shocking. It's embarrassing. And the amount of people who don't fucking want to... See it for what? Oh no! Whatever you're, a, you're a lunatic if you think. Oh yeah, bollocks. Um, oh yeah. It's disappointing. Anyway, two other things that I want to home in on because I think these are these are troubling. Amy Winehouse's statue. Um, I just want to pull up 
um, just one second. I just want to pull up. Uh, this is Amy Winehouse's statue. Um, so a free Palestine flag has been placed against the Star of David on her necklace. Um, and this story is um, uh, Star of David necklace uh, covered by pro-Palestinian sticker. Uh, this is the statue that's in Camden Market. Obviously, she's, you know, comes from a, uh, a Jewish, Jewish family. Um, Police are carrying out inquiries after a Star of David necklace on a statue of singer Amy Winehouse was covered with a sticker of a Palestinian flag. Now, this is, this is, this is troubling. This is troubling. Because, you know, essentially... Yes, this can amount to or could amount to or could be uh, a clear act of uh, vandalism, sabotage, um, anti-Semitism. Absolutely, it could be. I mean, you know, this is, you know, the, the difficulty with this is and the difficulty with these charged images, highly charged images. It could also be, and I'm, I'm not in, a, in any way for before anyone gets up, up, jumps up and down about this. I'm not in any way diminishing the potential of this being a uh, anti-Semitic kind of moment. Um, what I would say, though, where one has to exercise caution, and I worry about the reporting of these stories, that caution, and I've got another story that, that speaks to this too. And I'm going to use an analogy now, which is kind of not, it's certainly not politically charged and in no way seeks to diminish what this could be. So it could be an anti-Semitic act, absolutely. I want you to tell me what tell me what you what you think of it, guys. The sticking of the sticker. But for example, I remember when I was younger, me and my friends used to go because we could. We'd go out at lunchtime, we'd get a cheeseburger, and we would take the gherkins out, and we would throw the gherkins at posters at Kensington and Chelsea Town Hall, and we would throw them in such a way that they would land on the top lip of you know a face that was in a poster. And it, we'd laugh because it would make it look like Charlie Chaplin or Hitler or whatever. You'd, you'd be laughing. It was stupid childhood nonsense. We don't know the, the circumstances in which this happened. Now, if there was CCTV footage of people surreptitiously coming up and kind of doing it in a kind of malicious manner, maybe, that, maybe you know, yeah, you phone them up, check them out, ask them what was going on, why were you doing this? But we don't know that. We also don't know who put it there. Um, so uh, Abby Reid says, imagine being more concerned about a sticker than a genocide. Now, yeah, now, again, you know, this could, could be an anti-Semitic act, but we have, do we, you know, you need to know who put it there in order to be able to say that. Because there's another story also in the press about a birth certificate that's been returned from the Home Office. And again, as I say with the Amy Winehouse story, this is really important to say this. If this is true, it is awful. But we, I think we need to know it's true before the story is reported. That's my point. This is the story of a baby's birth certificate being returned from the Home Office with Israel scribbled out. Um, a girl's parents are very concerned as the Home Secretary vows appropriate action will be taken. And what you can see there is an image of the birth certificate with the personal details redacted, uh, but you can see under the place of birth of the father, uh, the word Israel has been scribbled out there. Um, and there is a tear, I think you can see there's a tear in the middle of the page on the right. Um, my first thought about this when I saw this, well, when I heard this, I was thinking, bloody hell, that's awful. But then I thought, tear, 
then I thought, how do we know? How do we know this was done? How do you know when I mean, I remember and again, I'm not diminishing, I'm just trying to use analogies that are in the real world that are, are not sort of within the pressure cooker of the, the Israel uh, Gaza conflict. I remember receiving a plant from somewhere. And and I said it came in a thing and it was destroyed and the roots were pulled out and all this kind of stuff. And they demanded that I send a photograph of how it arrived. Um, and because I couldn't send a photograph of the damage of it, I sent them just the dead thing. They could, they didn't trust or believe that I might not have just pulled it apart. And they said, we can't, you know, otherwise people would just be... It would be an odd thing to do and it would be an unusual thing to do. But it's not an impossible thing to do to heighten conflict, to suggest that, the, you know, could this have been torn? Could this be, you know, so look, you know, it's, my point is, I don't think these stories being reported like this when they're like now, if you had, if it was a Nazi signal on, on the, on the Amy Winehouse thing, I would absolutely understand that that is a clear, you know, a free Palestine, some Burke or twerp may well have done that some Burke, absolute thoughtless Burke, and it's insensitive and it's silly. But also someone else might put it there just to cause a problem. And I don't think these stories should be reported. What do you think, guys? Are these, are the, is there enough evidence in either of these to run with the idea that, you know, extreme anti-Semitism is at work? Um, you know, I, I think it almost diminishes, you know, when you see the appalling kind of um, you know, disfiguring of, of of the fronts of shops and houses and schools, and that is just outrageous. But 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 these, yeah, I know I'm reporting the fact that I think it's it's I think this is dubious, and I think when you get these stories, what I'm trying to draw attention to, Karen, is that you need to kind of pause and take stock and not just gobble up what you see, because even I saw these and went, oh, and then I thought, well, hang on a minute. We don't know for certain that either of these things happened in the way that they say they happened. So that's my point. Um, there's too much, I think, sort of uh, hypothesizing going on. Uh, Aaron Bullimore, no, the sticker could have symbolized, symbolized how Jews stand with Palestine. You can't, it's intention, isn't it? And if you can't unpack the intention, and if you can't prove that the letter wasn't ripped or that someone's being sort of, you know, wanting to aggravate, you know, yeah. DP, Mark, yes, anti-Semitism is wrong, but these are acts of a couple of individuals. Where is the narrative of anti-Islamophobia? Yeah. Uh, Grace Ann Martin, I don't, I don't, where have you gone? I don't, when you think what's going on in comparison, it feels like trying to invite bad feelings, just like the reporting they do concerning the peaceful protests. I mean, yeah, I mean, not one, not one story about, you know, the, uh, the, okay, I mean, these are these, you know, these two stories are potentially signs of something wrong, but they're not guaranteed signs of something wrong. Whereas a child was shot in a crowd trying to get aid and food in Rafa by the Israelis, but that, that gets no coverage. Does strike me as um, odd. MeTube, some of these stories are put out simply to keep the division going. And going back to Karen saying, you're reporting them. I'm not saying you were saying it in a sort of, but what I'm saying is, yeah, the reason I'm doing them is so that we can talk about the fact that stories like this, rather than just reading it and going, oh, yeah, that's wrong. Oh, no, no, no. These stories are being, it's a manipulation of conflict between the two sides. Okay. 
Da, 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 da. Just quickly. Oh, I've run over. I've got to go um, quite quickly. Um, so, yep, yeah, uh, I wanted to talk briefly about Philip Schofield's gagging order. <sighs> Just find, I find it staggering. Is he going to be in? Is, is the talk that he's going to be in Celebrity Big Brother? Is this gagging order so that he can relaunch his career without any fear and any worry that anything could come up? It's a six-figure deal. You know, I thought I thought we were all told it was an important defining feature that there was no NDA before, but now there was an NDA after the event. So that's all strange. Um, and poor old Madonna has taken a fall. Oh, and also at the um, at the BAFTAs, a YouTube prankster managed to get in the back of shot. He's not part of the film at all. He's a YouTuber who just managed to get himself on stage. Slightly worrying. Um, and here's just some footage without sound of, of Madonna on stage having a bit of a mishap. It's it's like oh, unfortunately they popped their headline over the over it as it happened. But I mean, there, there's Madge, bless her. I think she dealt with it. I think she I think she, you know, as family we love pratfalls. I fell over the other day. Everyone was roaring with laughter at me. She gets back up and she carries on. Apparently she did over Christmas. Previously she had a Santa Claus in her dance outfit who who fell over too. So uh, so yeah. So there we go. Uh, let me remove that. Um, and yeah, so Philip Schofield and that is it guys, guys have a lovely day. Um, something will be landing later on in the day. I can't remember what, um, (laughs) send all, I will send all of your love to Nads. She sends all of her love to you. Um, and if you haven't go and check out mine and, uh, Lee's Natter about the film, all of us strangers. Uh, it was really, really nice, really nice to chat with him about, about movies, uh, Not just cocktails, but movies. Anyway, guys, have a lovely day. See you anon.